Take your seat. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Uh, burr. <laughs> Season changed overnight, didn't it? I was like, oh, the spring colors are gone. Everybody's got their oranges and whatever other colors are fall on this morning. But burnt oranges. All right, John chapter 5. You getting there? You getting there? Um, as you're finishing up turning there, uh, if you've ever been in a house with children, uh, you know that there's a kid's toy that is deadly to adults, particularly in the darkness. And that kid's toy is Legos. Notice how I say that, Legos. Uh, my kids would always play with Legos in our like center room upstairs that's kind of right between all of the bedrooms. And you'd go to, go to bed at night and you'd walk kind of through this maze of Legos. There'd be this path, you know, as they left them all out, like partially built overnight with things like castles that threaten you and different things. And you'd kind of weave through this and you'd go to your bedroom and you'd be fine. And then sometime in the middle of the night, or first thing in the morning, what I knew in the light, I forgot in the darkness. <laughs> and you walk out, and you step on, and you never would imagine such excruciating pain could come from this little block that's on the floor. Now, if you've never experienced that, you've never had the joy of experiencing the pain that is a Lego on the bottom of your foot, uh, maybe you've been just in a room and you've had the lights go out suddenly. Maybe not even suddenly. Maybe you've been in a room and they've told you, we're gonna turn the lights out. And when they turn those lights out, no matter how often you've been in that room, no matter how well you know it, you're instantly plunged into this confusion and disorientation. And we usually crouch down and our arms go out, even if there's nothing around us. Even if we know this room like the back of our hands, there's something with darkness that just triggers this temporary amnesia in us. And now we're, we're fumbling around like we have no idea where we're at. Well, similarly, suffering and hardship have a way of disorienting us, don't they? They can plunge us into this type of spiritual darkness and doubt. And we forget in the dark what we knew in the light. And that's why the Gospel of John is so important. Uh, do you remember the, the theme verse of John? It's John 20, 31. We've said it a few times now. You're probably starting to commit it to memory. It says this, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, John serves an evangelistic purpose for sure. Like we're meant to, to read it, and if we don't yet know Jesus, the Spirit uses this book of the Bible in our life to open our eyes, to cause us to believe and to receive eternal life in him. But it's also written to believers. Why? It's written so that we would keep believing, so that we would remember in the darkness what we learn, what we know, what we believe in the light. 
Uh, in this passage today, Jesus is going to answer a couple questions for us that are going to remind us of what we believe in preparation for the spiritual disorientation that can come with suffering, with hardship, and even with persecution. He's going to answer questions like, exactly who is he? And who confirms his identity? And what authority does he have? In John 5, we're going to see that Jesus is one with the Father. And there are five witnesses here that, can, that confirm his identity. And he has been given authority to give life and to judge. All right, let's jump into this. Look down at chapter 5, verse 16. We're going to go back into the last, uh, last week's just here by a few verses to get a running start. Verse 16 says this. And this was why the Jews, the Jewish leaders, were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and he said, My father is working until now. And I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, God is always working, even on the Sabbath. He has to. Why? He's the one that upholds the universe. Okay, he's, he gives life and he takes life and he's sovereignly in control and there isn't a time clock that you punch out on on that work. The God of the universe is always working and even the religious leaders agreed to this. But they come to Jesus and they're like, well, why are you doing all of this on the Sabbath? And he's like, here's why. My father, God, is working. Therefore, I am working. See, both him calling God his father at this point in time and saying that he was working in the same way that the father was working, he is claiming to be equal with the father. And they understood this. How do we know that? Because it says they did. <laughs> and they tried to kill him and ended up doing exactly that. In these next verses here, verses 19 through the end of the chapter that we're going to go through, Jesus is now going to do some teaching about his identity and his witnesses. Okay? He's like, I've got the religious leaders here. I just told them this. I just told them I was equal to the Father. Now I'm going to going to teach them about that. So look down at verse 19. Let's read 19 through 24. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but he can only do what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and he's shown him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whomever he wills. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Verse 23, so that all may honor, may worship the son just as they honor the father. 
Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. All right, six truths about Jesus's identity and his relationship with the Father that he's gonna tell us in these verses. Six truths, and I'm gonna warn you, we are gonna cruise through this really quickly, okay? So we're gonna touch on some things, and the reason I wanna do that is because I'd like us to finish in a fairly timely way, hopefully, today, because at the end, I wanna give you an update on one of our global partners, okay? So hang on, here we go. Six truths about Jesus' identity and relationship with the Father. Truth one, the Son does what the father does the son does whatever the father does verse 19 he says he can do nothing of his own accord or his own initiative so jesus is not off doing his own thing apart from the father he's doing what the father does okay two second truth the father loves the son verse 20 the father loves the son. Why is that important? Think about this. Love didn't start with the creation of humanity. Before we were created, love was expressed perfectly within the Trinity, in the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in fact, this week, I'd love in your small groups, talk about that. For a little bit from this passage. Why? Why is that so hopeful and significant? That God didn't need humanity to love him and for him to love. But before humanity, he existed as love, loving perfectly. The Father loves the Son. Third, third truth from this section is this, the father and the son give life. The father and the son give life, verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whomever he wills. And actually, we're gonna come back to this point here in a minute because the passage is gonna circle back around and give us some more details about that one. Fourth truth, the father gives all judgment to the son. The father gives all judgment to the son. Verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. The father assigns the work of judgment to Jesus. And that one we're going to come back to too, because the text comes back to that one also here in a second. So fifth, told you we were going to fly through these. Fifth truth from this section is this, the father and the son, this is important, the father and the Son are both worshipped as God. Both of them. Verse 23. So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is so important. To not worship Jesus is to not worship the Father. Here's why that's important, because so many religious systems in our world today would love to tell us that, hey, can't we all just get along? We all worship the same God. Yes, we can get along. We do not worship the same God. 
unless you worship Jesus Christ as God, equal with the Father and the Spirit, the one and the only way to eternal life, you do not worship our God. You worship no God at all because he is the one true God. Sixth truth from this section is this. To believe the Father is to, I'm sorry, to believe the Son, there we go, is to believe the Father. To believe the Son is to believe the Father. Verse 24 is such a beautiful verse in this passage. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, the words of the Son, and believes him, the Father who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. Hear that, hear that. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Believing the Son is to believe the Father, and it results in eternal life in Jesus Christ. Okay, so now, verses 24 here, through the rest of this, this section, down to 29, you may see those splits even in your Bible. It's now going to go back, and it's going to give us some more detail particularly about two of these points, about the son's authority to give life and the son's authority to judge. Okay, so let's read these. Start in verse 24 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. It's coming But now look, and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear, those who believe, will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Okay, so Jesus, at the beginning of this section, back in verse 16 through 18, he's like, the Father is working and I am working. And that begs a question, what are you doing? What work are you doing? And here is where he's telling us the work that he's doing. The work that they're doing is raising people from spiritual death to spiritual life. And when is that happening? Right now. He's like, the hour is coming. Oh, and it's now here. (laughs) Spiritual death to spiritual life. This is Ephesians chapter two. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Death to life. Uh, a, A passage in your Bible is Ezekiel 37, okay? Another small group encouragement. If you have a chance, read this chapter together as a small group in Ezekiel. Man, Zeke. It is weird (laughs) and cool all at the same time. It's this description, this picture of this death to life scenario. There's this valley of dry bones. And God says to Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy my word over these bones. And then God breathes life into death. The picture of what he's done for us spiritually. So read Ezekiel 37 and see if you can figure it out. It's awesome. Uh, Along this lines, totally another side note. 
Uh, maybe you're here and uh, we have all different kinds of testimonies to our salvation story in this room. And maybe you've been tempted to think, my testimony of how the Lord saved me, it's kind of boring. Hold on a minute. Whether you were saved at four or 54, whether you were saved before you had an opportunity to do as much sin as you did later in life, or whether you were saved out of a life hardened in wickedness, no matter what, okay, your story is a death to life story. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, whether you were four or 54, and God graciously and sovereignly reached into your life and softened your heart and opened your eyes and saved you. And you now have life because of him. No matter what your testimony is, to the extent that it proclaims the good news about Jesus and says, I was dead and now I'm alive, is the extent to which it was powerful. And the Lord will use it. So never say, my testimony is boring. It's a miracle. Share it with others. Back. <laughs> so this section is showing us the son has authority to give spiritual life. He has the authority to, to resurrect from the dead spiritually. But not just that. He has the authority to work physical resurrection and to judge. Look down at verse 27. It says this, and he, the father, has given him, the son, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man, Daniel chapter seven. Verse 28, don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming. Remember, that said that before. It said an hour is coming, and then it said it's now here, presently. This just says the hour is coming. This is future. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and they will come out. Those who have done good, by the way, this isn't like some types of some type of works, salvation in John. When you see John talking about doing good, it's those who are doing good as a result of having believed, okay? This is tied in to his theme of belief. And those who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Listen to me. He will one day, when he returns, physically resurrect everyone and those who have believed him will be raised physically resulting in a sinless eternity in a new body in a perfect relationship with God in a type of bliss that we can't even comprehend right now but he also has authority to judge and one day when he returns and resurrects, those who don't believe, they will be raised physically, but it will result in an eternity of just judgment separated from God in a type of agony that we can't even comprehend. He is returning. 
and he will resurrect us all. So what's happening in this section? Jesus, right, he's showing us who he is exactly. So there's, there's even some really amazing stuff in this passage about, about the Trinity, right? The Father and the Son are united in will. And you remember what we said back at the beginning of this series about the Trinity. All the Trinity is involved in all that the Trinity is involved with, but not in exactly the same way. So the Father and the Son, are they're united, they're equal, they're, they're one in being, in essence, and in nature, but, but functionally and in their roles, they're distinct. And we can see that in this passage, right? You see the Father doing what? He's initiating, he's sending, he, he's giving authority, and the Son is being sent and submitting and receiving and accomplishing these distinct roles functionally that they're carrying out as, as God, but one God, equal, Father, Son, and Spirit. So Jesus is like, this is my relationship with the Father. Here's a glimpse of my, my authority and my identity. All this, that, that's why I can say my Father is working and I'm working too. Next, this next section He's going he's gonna to teach about his witnesses, his witnesses. Let's jump into it. Verse 30. Verse 30 kind of summarizes the past paragraph. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 31. If I alone bear witness, we're going to see this bearing witness throughout this whole paragraph. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. It's not valid. He's not saying here that he's, that he's lying. Because what he's saying is, is, why believe just my testimony? You should, but you won't. So I'm going to provide you some witnesses. This is almost like a, a courtroom scene where he's calling witnesses forward to testify to the evidence of his identity and authority. And the first witness that he's gonna call is the father himself. The father is first. Look at verse 32. There's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Uh, the father is gonna keep coming up throughout these following verses. And, and he is testifying to the identity and the authority of the son, but he's gonna be doing it, we'll see, through these following witnesses. So the other witnesses' testimony is actually gonna be through the father. So the father is the son's first witness. The second witness is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, look down at verse 33. You sent to John, this is John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. Remember, it's from the Father. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, was. Notice that, was. That means by this point, John had already given his life for the gospel. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while at least, in his light. He calls John the Baptist this, a burning and a shining lamp. That's a, that's a picture of his witness 
to the world of the gospel and of Jesus. Remember, he wasn't the light. He was a light pointing to the light of the world. John the Baptist is a witness to who Jesus is. Next witness is this. It's Jesus' own teaching and works. Jesus' own teaching and works. Look at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Look, look at this. Because the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Notice, the Father is witnessing through Jesus' works. All of Jesus' miracles, his teachings, are evidence of who he is and his authority and the mission that he has from the Father. Fourth witness. Fourth witness is Scripture itself. Scripture itself. Look at verse 37, and we'll read to the end here. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. But his voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen. Wait, if we haven't heard him, if we haven't seen him, how is he bearing witness? Well, he's bearing witness through John the Baptist, through Jesus and his teaching and his works, and, and through Scripture. Verse 38, and you do not have his word abiding in you. Because you don't believe the one whom he's sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I don't receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. And I have come in my father's name and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you don't seek the glory that actually comes from the only God? Don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. Because if you believed Moses, you'd believe me because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe his, my words? Um, here's what this is doing. It's saying scripture, all of it, testifies to Jesus' identity and authority. All of scripture actually points to Jesus. And the religious leaders, they study and they know scripture better than anyone around. All they do is study the Bible and come up with more rules for people. And he's like, you study scripture more than anyone. And you don't have God's word in you because you don't believe me and you don't love me. Why? Because you think that you can earn eternal life through your study of scripture. And Jesus is like, I am life. The scriptures are meant to bring you to me and you've missed it. Um, a really smart guy named Mural Tenney in his commentary on John, he wrote this. He said, after the destruction of the Temple of Solomon in 586 BC, 
the Jewish scholars of the exile, they substituted the study of the law for the observance of temple ritual and sacrifice. They poured over the Old Testament, endeavoring to extract the fullest possible meaning from its words. Why? Because they believed that the very study itself would bring them eternal life. They missed it. Listen, the study of Scripture is not an end in and of itself. Our study of God's word is meant to bring us to our Savior. Right? And reading and meditating and memorizing God's word, it should result in increasingly knowing God. It should result in deepening our relationship with him. It should result in transforming you into his image. It it should result in increased love for others. It should compel us not merely to more study, but to go to a lost world and share what we have learned. And don't don't just dismiss this quickly and say, yep, I get that, Nate. No, 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 no. This is a subtle and a dangerous temptation. And I can tell you, even personally as your pastor, I'm tempted daily to go to scripture and walk away with just some more knowledge. And that is deadly. And hear me, hear me. The answer is not to stop reading your Bible. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The answer is this. It's to remember the goal, which is Christ. It's to ask for the Spirit's help to cultivate love for him and love for others through your study, through your reading and your meditating on and your memorizing God's word. And think about this for a minute. How hopeful to go like, ah, can I even know God? Yes. He says through his spirit, through his word, you can know him and become like him. But you have to remember the goal. The goal is to get him, not just more answers to Bible questions. All right, so how do we, how do we walk away from this text? Um, there's two things I think we should walk away from this morning. First, I think we need to walk away with hope. Look, look, look down at verse 24 again. Hear these verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, that hour is now, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Look at verse 28. Don't marvel at this. An hour is coming. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good will come out to the resurrection of life. If you are a Christian here, God has raised you from spiritual life, from spiritual death to spiritual life. We have eternal life. And not only that, one day we will be raised physically. And pain sorrow and sin will be no more. 
just enjoyment forever of all of God in all of his glory. And maybe the hope that you needed to hear this morning when you came here is, even though we die, yet will we live. Along those lines, as we think about living here now in eternal life and the hope that we have as believers, I think we need to walk away from this section of scripture with a better understanding of our mission. Uh, remember, back at the beginning, I said this morning that we were going to see that there are five witnesses to the identity and the authority of God, of Christ. Those witnesses are the Father, John the Baptist, Jesus' works and his, and his teaching and scripture. That's four. <laughs> Who's the fifth witness? We are. We are. Look, look at verse 35 about John the Baptist. It says, John the Baptist was a burning and a shining lamp. A burning and a shining lamp. Remember, that represents his testimony to the world. Okay, the Apostle John wrote this book. He wrote another book of Scripture. He wrote a few more, but here's one of the others. He wrote Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Lampstands should sound familiar. I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of those lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. What is this talking about? Later in chapter one of Revelation, it defines those seven lampstands for us, and it says that those seven lampstands are the seven churches, seven Christ perfect number of completion. Those seven lampstands there represent the witness and the testimony of the church across church history. Right? It represents our witness concerning Jesus Christ and his identity and his authority and the hope of eternal life for those who believe in judgment for those that don't. We have been given a task by our God as the church. What is that task? To be the ongoing witness, the ongoing lampstand in a dark world, testifying to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That is our job. That's been given to us individually and corporately as the church. We have a mission from God that we are meant to spend our lives doing until when? Until he returns and he says, it's accomplished, it is finished. And in that day, we rejoice that we walked faithfully with him as that witness to who he was. <gasps> when we are tempted to forget in the dark, we remember these things. We remember this passage. We remember that Jesus is one with, he's equal with the Father. We remember that when we believe the Father through the Son, we receive eternal life. And now as believers, we, we rest. We rest in the hope of the gospel. We rest in the hope of a now and a future resurrection to life. And we live our lives 
as witnesses to this hope. Father, you are incredible. Lord, would you help everyone in this room today, Lord, to one, rest in the hope that we have in you. Rest in the fact that you have raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Rest in the fact that even though we die, Lord, yet will we live because of our hope in you. And Lord, would that reality, would that hope drive us to an increased desire to know you and to tell others about you until you return, Lord. Help us to be that as a local church. In your precious name, amen.